Bags down, spikes on, welcome to the track. Hi, my name is Colin Waitsman. I'm going to be your host for this episode of Track World News presented by The Harrier. And today we have a very special guest joining us. She is a two-time Olympian in both the 400-meter hurdles as well as the 4x4 personal best of 54.32 Pan Am champion. Uh, we have Sage Watson of Canada joining us. Uh, Sage, thanks for, for joining. Really appreciate it. Thank, thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to chat with you. For sure, for sure. Really looking forward to it. And so uh, uh, before we get started, I have a few celebrities that are from Alberta. I wanted you to let me know if they're legends or if they're not legends. And so I did okay. my best. I'm pretty sure they're from Alberta. If they're not, let me know. But I, 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 I tried. <laughs> I'm, doing, I'm doing my best. So uh, first, Michael J. Fox. Oh, I think a legend. For sure. For sure. Big, yeah. Big fan of what what was it? Uh I'm drawing a huge blank right now. Back to the future. Love it. Yes, yes. Uh, for sure. One of my favorites. Uh then the WWE star Bret Hart. I I don't watch WWE. I'm so sorry. I mean, I have anyone like respect for someone who gets to a high level in sports and competition and um I'm, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who that is. So I'm so sorry to that, yeah, was, that individual. <laughs> he was a star in the eighties too. So I figured, okay, I might've been, I might've been pushing, pushing it a little bit there. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And then not sure if you're a fan of the show, but it was, uh, eventually I'm going to even jelly Lily. She was, uh, she was, she was a star on lost. She played Kate Austin. Okay. If you watched lost. I did not. I missed that whole like lost craze. I know like some people were like in it and like dedicated to watching it. And I just missed that whole um, era. <laughs> same, same, but I mean, I think that's a pretty popular show. And so I, I'm sure she's like very well known. Um, but again, like I haven't seen her work, so I can't say you know i'm sorry <laughs> no problem no problem and then last one i got for you uh we have tommy chong from cheech and chong the you know the move the uh, what is it the actor yeah. from a while ago i mean i would say that's a legend everybody everybody kind of knows that and it's such a hit and definitely there we go got a whole bunch of uh and there's a, a whole bunch more a lot of hockey players as well as i'm sure Yes, uh, we have a lot of hockey players that come from Alberta, very strong hockey province. So I know there's so many. For sure, for sure. And uh, so before we get into track, I wanted to take a step back uh, and look at some of your older tweets that you might have had. So I got a few questions. I want to bring them up, see if you can give us some answers on some of your tweets from a few years ago. Oh, boy. OK. No, nothing crazy. You're fine. Nothing, in, nothing crazy. Uh, <laughs> first one, this was from... December 1st, 2016, 6am uh, mm -hmm. practice, then an 8am business presentation, hashtag student athlete life. Do you remember mm. this presentation? Yeah, potentially? I remember it because I, so I finished weights and I didn't have time to change into my business suit, like there at McHale Center where we train. So I had to bike 
I'm like still sweating from weights. I had to bike to the business school and I had to change because they don't have locker rooms in the business school. So I had to change in the women's bathroom into heels and a skirt and a business jacket. So I definitely remember that one. Um, that's just like the student athlete life. <laughs> and I'm like, I felt so gross. I'm wearing my suit and I'm like, I haven't showered since weights. I didn't have time, but that's the student athlete life from practice to class. And there's not a lot of time in between. Yeah. Just from one thing to another. I mean, yeah. did, you did you ace it? Well, how'd it go? Yes. Yeah. That one we aced. It was, um, yeah, it was like a marketing presentation. It was actually to market. It's funny because it was before Lululemon did this, but it was actually to market shoes to Lululemon to get them to sell on the shelves. Oh, cool. So my business professor thought we were like, we were like amazing for thinking this up. And I'm just like, oh, it's an obvious thing being a runner, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, next one for you. So this was from uh, November 17th of 2016. You said, okay. oh, I just started learning Spanish last week. So hablo muy poco español. Do you still remember much Spanish from when you were learning it back then? No, because I really failed with how I took Spanish. I took Spanish online and I do not recommend anyone take Spanish online unless you have to, because there's no like in-person conversation. And um, I didn't learn a lot for my two semesters of Spanish. It was just one of those things. Um, it was a requirement to graduate, to have a second language. And my French was so bad being Canadian. I didn't remember anything from French uh, class in Canada. So I decided, hey, I'm in Arizona. Why not take Spanish? So no, I don't remember a lot um, of Spanish. <laughs> it's all good. I don't either. And I took, geez, I think like six years of it. So it's, it's all good. I don't remember. I know it's one of those things you have to keep practicing and continue to use it. 100%, 100%. And uh, so last one here for you, and kind of to transition into our, our further convo, um, you said this was on, what is this, August 29th, 2016. Uh, oh, wait, no, never mind. Yeah, August 29th, 2016. If you never step outside of your comfort zone, you will never know of what you're fully capable of. Uh, mm -hmm. And so that's a quote that I think is can be used for really anything, whether it's athletes or, or outside of it. Could you kind of touch on, yes. you know, what that means to you and how it is so important to make sure you're, you're stepping outside of your comfort zone? Yeah, I think it means taking a chance, um, doing something you've never done, being uncertain, being unsure of the outcome. I think that we kind of get scared of taking chances in life because it is scary because there is a high probability you will fail when you're trying something new or you're doing something you've never done. And I think failure is um, a scary thing for a lot of people, but we have to realize, you know, failure is just the reality of life. Um, if you're not really failing, how to be truly tried. And so I think that, um, especially as athletes, we need to, you know, be willing to step outside of our comfort zones when it comes to training, step outside of our comfort zones, you know, when it comes to like the mental aspect, because if you don't push that and go to that next level, you won't see increased performances and um, you might not be able to accomplish that next big scary goal or scary dream you have. Exactly. Yeah, it's, I've always thought of it kind of, if you do the same thing you've always done, you're going to get the same results you've always, mm -hmm. always got. And so if you don't exactly. push the envelope, you're going to stay doing, you know, running the same times, lifting the same weights, whatever it might be. Exactly. Yes, for sure. Yeah. So very important. 
even though it might be scary or, or hurt in the the mean the meanwhile push out it's it should hopefully help you in the future for sure um, yeah yeah i think it's a just hard thing for us to do because we get caught up in our comfort zones i think it's so easy to get caught up in your day-to-day -day routine and um just not pushing yourself a little bit more and i mean it's scary when you're doing it for running and performances because if you do push yourself there's a chance oh i could injure myself or oh i might tire myself too much and it might be all the wrong training how do i know this is right and um i think you can never know for sure unless you go out there and try it Exactly. Exactly. Got to, got to try it. Got to put yourself, mm -hmm. uh, yourself out there. And so um, then wanted, wanted to flash back to where track kind of started for you. Um, what got you interested in, in running, um, you know, when you got started, uh, you know, in our sport here? So I got interested in running. My mom is actually in the Medicine Hat Police Force and she used to run uh, to stay fit. And she would always be going on runs and I was just little and I'd always ask to go on runs with her, but I was too little to go on the runs. And so that kind of intrigued my interest in running. And, um, you know, eventually uh, elementary school, junior high, I started doing track and field competitions and I really enjoyed racing. Like I loved the thrill of it. I loved to run from a very young age because of my mom and I you know, was, I had a natural talent for it as well. And um, my parents really encouraged me and they started driving me to more competitions and they started to, this is another thing pushing me outside my comfort zone. You know, the first kind of team I made in the track and field world, I did not want to go to the competition for the tryouts for the team. And my mom actually had to like pretty much force me to run the 400 at this meet. And I'm so happy I did because I actually won the 400 Nobody knew who I was. I was just this random girl from Medicine Hat, Southern Alberta, and I won and I was on Team Alberta. And then we went to a big Western, so Alberta against some of the other Western provinces, and I actually won there as well. So I went from being this little scared little girl to like winning these big competitions for my age group. And um, that kind of like lit a little, little fire in me. I was like, wow, this is fun. I'm meeting new people. I get to travel to these great meets, you know, and it's fun to win. <laughs> I mean, everybody knows it's fun to win. So I, it kind of lit this fire in me. Um, I just love the aspect of being on a team, being on team Alberta, having um, all these friends from all over the province and meeting other athletes from other provinces and, um, it was just exciting and fun, and that kind of got me started in track and field um, and going into high school and then, yeah, getting a scholarship and going to university. Yeah, I, I mean, being able to be winning your, these races and, and being top names and making, making teams is to, to represent where you're coming from, I mean, that, that's super mm -hmm. cool. Uh, and so for those that might not know that are that are listening so i know a, a lot of people are from the states could you so it's like alberta would that be the cons, like cons, something similar to like a, a state like making the state. state team yeah so that would make yeah that would be the same as making making your state team um so i i always say when some people get confused i'm like yeah i won states and they're like oh okay okay that makes sense but we just have provinces instead of states so um, yeah, I made like the all state team, you could say, and then I won states or provincials multiple times. And that's kind of what got me into this line of, you know, making Team Canada, because I think we forget that it starts at the small level. It starts at like making that first team or it starts at making your first school team or whatever that is. And then you eventually get to make the big teams. It doesn't just happen 
very rare cases it happens where you just make the big team. It starts out small. Yeah. And so that's that's interesting because you mentioned that you originally didn't even want to try out uh, to do it. Mm-hmm. If, if you were to think of like, you know, if there was different timelines, let, let's say you didn't, your mom was like, okay, you can stay home. You don't have to do it. How do you think your, the rest of your running career might've changed if, you know, you originally didn't go out for that, te- that very first team? Could have things been much different, do you think? I think, yeah, I think for sure it could have been different. Um, I definitely would have still raced in high school. And I think, um, that I would have still done well there and maybe gotten to the same place I am now. But I think that, you know, who, who knows really, you can't, you can't rewrite the stories, but um, I think that having the support of my mom and dad, I know for sure, you know, their support is what has gotten me to where I am today. So um, thanks mom, you know, for making me, for almost forcing me to go into that 400 race and I think just having people who believe in you and who want to see you succeed is you know kind of what got me to where I am today and what started me out in track and field yeah uh, I was uh something similar I was a pole vaulter when I was competing and there were many times yeah many of my many times my parents driving me I like two hours to go to the the club and then driving back and it's like oh you know every morning or late at night and it's like there's a lot of days where it's like, I don't, I don't want to do this, but it's like, nah, come on. You, you got a goal you want to achieve. Let's, let's make sure we go out and, and do it because, you know, if you don't, if you skip out on today, you know, that might snowball and you're skipping out next week and then the week before mm-hmm. now you're not reaching your goals anymore. Yeah, for sure. I think um, parents, you know, I always encourage, you know, parents put your kids in anything and everything, all the sports and then see what they really like and really try to support them in that area because um, you make such a difference in a, in a kid's life when you show support for their dreams or their goals or what they enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. 100%, 100%. And uh, so I was, I'm interested because um, I know from uh, an athlete in the States going to, and then having uh, you know college coaches, I, just, I know the recruiting process from the state level um, here in, in the US. Is it much different for you being a Canadian, being a, growing up in Canada and then eventually coming to the NCAA? Um, program or, or is it a little is it much the same I think it's a little bit different um, just for the fact that you know if you're from Canada you're always going to be out of state uh, so it I mean you can still get it on a walk-on position but I would think it, it's a little bit harder to be from out of the country and do a walk-on position as it would be um, to get a scholarship from out of the country as an international student so um, I got recognized by uh, universities and uh, D1 schools because I was actually on the world youth team for Team Canada um, in 2011. We competed in France, and a lot of uh, coaches recognized me there, and I started getting messages from there. But I actually also reached out to quite a few schools and sent them, you know, my times and my SAT scores and all of that. So I would say, like, if anyone looking to go to a school. I would always recommend reaching out, even if you think you don't even have a shot, like you never know what can happen and just putting your name out there. So um, whether they're in Canada, feel free to reach out to schools or whether you're here in the United States and you're not quite sure, reach out because you never know if they might have some scholarship money or you might get a walk-on position or, you know, a full ride scholarship. You just don't know. So I highly encourage all, you know, high school athletes, if you have a dream and you have a dream school, reach out to it. 
yeah, yeah. Wherever you want to go, if if you never ask, the answer is always no. I've always kind of think, exactly think of it yes. that way. Unless you say something, the answer is no. And uh, so then for you, what was the? How did you end up going originally to to FSU? Because that's I don't even know how many miles difference that is. Probably <laughs> thousands, you know, from mm-hmm. uh, you know, nearly Western Canada to the you know south most southeast part. Of, well, I guess it's the west of uh, Florida, but southernmost state. Yeah. How did you end up getting the, you know, all the way there to, to FSU originally? Yeah, I took, well, I took a few um, official visits to different universities and um, my visit to Florida State, I absolutely loved. I love Florida State. I love Tallahassee. The university was gorgeous. Um, what really attracted me to Florida State was the team was full of international athletes. And I thought that was something really cool. There's just like a div- diverse group of us for from, you know, Canada to the islands to Europe. So it was a really cool um, team atmosphere. I really um, like the facilities. I just had this good feeling. And I always tell athletes, like, how do I know what school's right? I'm like, if you get a good feeling there and you feel like this is somewhere not only you could grow as an athlete, but you could grow as a person and you can get a good education, um, go there. Because that good feeling is telling you like, hey, this, this is a good fit for me. This is a good place. Yeah, that's what it kind of was for me when I stepped on my school's campus. I was like, oh, this this feels right. Like, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I'm not sure exactly mm-hmm. how to put my na- my, you know, thumb on it. But it's like it just feels like this is the, you know, the right place for me. Um, yeah, I think because we can get so caught up in like aesthetics and, you know, the small things the school has to offer. And those things truly don't matter. I mean, you probably know you went to school like the fancy things like they don't matter. It's like how you feel there and the people who are around you and I mean, the positive, good feelings you get from that school. Yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, it sounds like, yeah, you really were, were drawn to, to Florida state, had a really great time there and then did end up going and over to, to Arizona. How, how was that? Could you tell us what was going on in, in your head? Like of why you were thinking, Hey, let's, let's take a different change of scenery um, and, and taking your, your talents over to, to Arizona to, to finish up your collegiate career. Yeah, my um, coach actually got let go at FSU, and um, I was at this point where um, there there was a lot of uncertainty within the coaching staff at Florida State, who was going to coach the 400 hurdles and, you know, what that was going to look like. Um, we had quite a few women doing the 400 hurdles, and um, they had all kind of graduated, so I was going to be one of the only women there, you know, doing the 400 hurdles, so I kind of had this feeling that it was time for me to leave and time for me to start looking somewhere else and that's when I got in touch with coach Harvey um, at Arizona and he just blew me away his knowledge of the 400 hurdles um, what he had to offer at University of Arizona the business school at University of Arizona Um, and it was not an easy decision to transfer because like I said I love Florida State I loved honestly everything about it but I just had this feeling because it 2016 was coming up I transferred in 2015 the Olympics were coming up and I knew you know I had this like one shot if I really wanted to get to the Olympics and with all the uncertainty at Florida State I wasn't sure I could get to the Olympics still being there but I had a feeling that if I could get into an area and get with a coach and a training partner um, which was Georgia Moline she was a professional athlete training at the University of Arizona I could get into a, a place where I had somebody pushing me and a, a coach who was very knowledgeable with the hurdles that I could get to that next le- level and I could possibly make the Olympics in 2016. And 
I'm so happy I made the choice in 2015, as hard as it was, and honestly, as difficult as it was to move my whole life across the country to Arizona. Um, it paid off because I was able to make the Olympics in 2016. Yeah, I mean, to say you're an Olympic athlete, and you were still in, in college at the time, right? Yeah, so. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah, I had one more year after. Yeah, so to be, oh, I, I made the Olympics, and I'm, I just was finishing up finals a couple of weeks ago, or, or whatever it might be. <laughs> I had a final the night before my Olympic trials race, <laughs> and I, I like, begged my professor, like, to not make me do it the night before, and, like, if I could do it after, and he was like, no. And I was like, no, but I'm trying to make the Olympics tomorrow. Like, please. <laughs> and he's like, no. So I had a final the night before my Olympic trials. Oh, man. Well, I, at least, you know, you're like, all right, I'm not stressing about the race as much. I'm stressing about this final and then the race. It's yeah. Yeah. It was like, get, get final done, then race. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Uh, and so on. So one thing on, on TikTok that you have, you're a big TikTok star. Well, I'm sure we'll get into it later. <laughs> But one of your your videos that I really that I saw and, and drawn to me was one where you're saying uh, this was a race that changed your life. Um, could mm -hmm. you touch on the race that you were talking about and how that helped change your life? Um, I think it was like one of your last collegiate ones. Yeah, it was my last uh, collegiate race, um, NCAA championships, 2017 in Oregon, and you know at this point I had um, already kind of started talking uh, with my coach about what I, I needed to do to become a pro after. Um, and he said, you know, you got to run like at least 50, you got to run 54 seconds um, and you got to win, win the championship and then you'll be recognized and you'll sign and you'll get a good contract. And so I was like, wow, that's a lot of pressure. Not only is this my last race as the collegiate athlete, um, this is like my one kind of shot to, uh, sign with an agent and to get a contract. And so I just remember going into that race. And even though I had all this pressure, I just remember had, having this feeling like I knew I was going to win. And I know that sounds, I'm not trying to sound cocky or anything, but I had worked so hard for it. And I had visualized the race so many times in my head. And I had um, been like ready for this moment. Like I felt when I stepped on the track, I was like, I'm ready for this moment. And like, I'm going to do it. And I was running the race and the announcers, when they were racing it, they were actually saying I was having a bad race, but I was actually running the best race of my life um, because the USC, one of the USC girls had like come right up on me because she had taken out the race like extremely hard. I mean, it's a championship race, like you got to go for it. And I just remember her coming up alongside me and I, in my head, I was like, no, I'm winning this. And I remember the last 100 meters, like I felt no pain. I don't remember even feeling lactic. I just remember being like, you're going to win this. You're going to win this. And like, when I crossed the line, it was like, oh my goodness, like I did win it. And then I had this like exciting moment. And, um, I just was, it was such a special moment because my family was there and it was also a special moment because my first year in the NCAA, I had made the NCAAs and I had missed the final. I, I went and did the semifinal, but I had missed the final race. And I remember being in the stands and like watching that race and as a freshman and saying, wow, like, I don't think I'm ever going to be as good as these girls. Like, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to win this. This is like an impossible feat to win NCAAs. It's, it's really hard. And I just remember being so young and looking at that and be like, oh, I just like, 
I'm going to try, but I just don't know if I'll be able to do that one day. And then when I actually got to do it my senior year and like have my moment and to be an NCAA champion, like that's something no one can take away from you is somebody can break your record, but they, they can't take away your championship. So um, it was just a really exciting moment. And, you know, after that, I signed with an agent, um, I signed with a sponsor and my pro career started. Yeah. I mean, talk about pressure, like, like to have your, your <laughs> race be your, your coach saying, look, you're going to have to win this race to have and, and be running in the 44s or if not 44s, that'd be insane. Uh, running, <laughs> running in the 54s uh, to, to mm-hmm. be able to, to get that, that pro level contract. I mean, were the, the, the warmups, cause I know for me, like there, there's different periods of that pre-race that are, have different like types of stress almost where it's like mm-hmm. once you're at, at a certain time, it's, it's not, it's very stressful. Certain times it's not like, could you tell us what it was like leading up to it going, like knowing this is, you know, this is a pretty important race I'm about to go into. Yeah. I, I remember just trying to be very calm and positive. And I find when I'm, you know, having fun and able to relax that I sometimes have my best races. So, you know, before the race, I told my coach, I wanted to go to Starbucks to get an iced coffee. Cause that's kind of my thing. I drink an iced coffee before all my races. So went to Starbucks. I drank my iced coffee on the way to the track. I just remember joking with some of um, the coaches and trainers there, like, you know, talking, being excited about the race and then having a very uh, kind of calm and relaxed warm up with my coach. It was just me and my coach and we found a little quiet area and I was able to do my hurdle drills and kind of get prepped and ready and have him there beside me, um, you know, saying encouraging words and, you know, just saying like, you're ready. All you have to do is, you know, what you've been doing and you'll, you're going to be ready for this. And just, you know, having that belief with someone, knowing my family was there in the stands, um, cheering me on to hit all, came down from Canada um, was another big factor, you know. Um, so just a very calm, relaxed um, warm up. I mean, calm as in, you know, I'm still pushing myself, you know, doing, getting all the fast twitch stuff firing, but I was just calm in my mind and my heart. And, um, I walked onto the track, you know, having a lot of self-belief and knowing it was my day and then it was. Yeah. It, it's like, if, if you don't believe in yourself, no one else will. So if you're, yeah, exactly. yeah, if you're going into the race, like, ah, oh, man, like a oh, person next to me is looking really good in warmups. All oh, their PR is mm-hmm. better than mine. I don't have a chance. Well, well then, yeah, you're setting yourself up for failure. But if you have that exactly. mindset, you're going to win, then you might as well be able to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I think when you, I've noticed the races where I'm like looking around and distracted and thinking about other things, I will, no, I'm not in that zone. I'm not focused. And I mean, I've still competed well. Not saying that that's a total write-off if you don't feel like you're in the zone. I still ran very fast and done well when I wasn't completely in the zone, but I find the races where I've had my greatest success, I didn't really care who was in the race. I didn't care what was going on. I just knew I wanted to win and I wanted to run the best I possibly could. And there's eight lanes. I just had my one on lane. I have my own 10 hurdles. So that's all I could focus on. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, and so wanted to, I guess, take it back just a, a tad with your, the Olympics in 2016. So like you mentioned, you're able to compete in, in 2016 and, and you were able to, to go to Rio for not just the, uh, the 400 meter hurdles, but I believe also the, the 400, the four by four for, for team Canada. Um, what was mm-hmm. it like being able to represent your country? Cause you went from, uh, going to rep in Alberta and then now you're, you're repping, you know, Canada on the world stage. 
What was that like, mm-hmm. um, you know, being able to, to have that, that Team Canada singlet? Oh, it was so exciting um, to make my first Olympic team. I, you know, was thrilled. It was like a, a, a goal of mine, you know, since grade, I think grade three, I had said I wanted to be an Olympian one day. So it was just so amazing, so exciting. Um, I just remember like not being able to sleep. I was so excited for the race and uh, it was a phenomenal um, experience. And I, I just felt so lucky that I, you know, I got to be able to represent Canada, you know, even when I was still in college, um, it was, it was really exciting. And I think that definitely helped set me up for my last year of university and going into the professional world of track and field. Yeah. I guess once you're, you're in college or when you're in college, you're at the Olympics and then it must not be as stressful. Cause it's like, Oh man, well, I was just on the, the world's biggest stage and now I'm going down mm-hmm. to like, you know, this small, du- smaller, like three, four, five team meet. It must have been like, oh, well, I, this isn't as bad as, you know, before I was. Yeah, there. it definitely made like the stress kind of was taken away from collegiate track. Once I was at the Olympics, I come back and I'm like, I mean, you still have the nerves of the race. I don't think those have ever really left me. You're always kind of like, oh, what can I do today? What am I going to do? And, but just, you know, you go from the Olympics to, yeah, like you said, a little dual meet. The, the pressure is way less. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, and so I know we saw, I think on some of the social media in 2016, you guys had a rookies dance or something for team Canada for people who was their first team. Did you guys have that, uh, for 2020? I know it was different now being your second team. Did the, did the rookies have to do some type of, you know, dance or whatever it might've been this year? Yeah. So at our, um, camp, we had a camp in Gifu, um, in Japan, and we were lucky enough to, you know, stay in a hotel. It was all, very isolated. We couldn't leave the hotel or the, or the track. So very isolated, but we all were in um, the dining hall one night and the rookies had to make um, pretty much like sing and dance to a popular Canadian artist. Um, So it was quite funny. Um, We had a really great time and I think it just lightens the mood of the whole team and it gives you know, the rookie is something fun. I mean, it's fun for like the people. I, I mean, I did my, I did my first te- senior team Canada thing in 2015. So it had been a long time. And so it was just fun to watch all the rookies do this, this, this first little fun skit. And um, I think it's just a fun team bonding activity too. We all get to laugh. We all have a great time and it just lightens the tension a little bit before the Olympics. For sure. Yeah. You can't be all serious all the time. You gotta, you gotta lighten it up a little bit. Uh, exactly. Sure. Exactly. And so then how was this, um, this year's games compared to 2016, obviously very different with no fans being able to attend. Um, and also it being your, your second time at the, the Olympics, could you kind of compare what it was like as an athlete for one of the, your first time versus, you know, that being your, your second games in 2020? I think the stress, the stresses were still the same. They might have even been a little bit more for Japan, just because all of the protocols and how strict it was to fly there. Um, you know, some people were, when we, we got there, we were in the airport for like six to eight hours, just going through tests and security and all of this stuff. So it was a bigger process. I felt like this game was a little bit more draining in the fact there were so many things that we had to do 
each day or precautions we had to take um, in the village, especially traveling, you know, all the rules. Um, so just a very different Olympic Games. I mean, I mean, you can't, it was COVID, so you can't really compare the two in a sense, other than the fact that this one was like a lockdown Olympic Games. And I think the people of Japan and all the volunteers did such a phenomenal job still trying to make it fun for us and make it a great experience. You know, I praise the volunteers who work the Olympics games because they're always like smiling, cheering and waving because they knew that we had no fans. They knew that there was no one there. So the most clapping and cheering we heard was actually in the call rooms because they would all cheer and clap as we were on our way out to compete. And I just think that Japan did a phenomenal job with that. But the games were extremely different. Um, I mean, the dining hall, I, one of my favorite things about the first Olympic games was getting to meet athletes from all over the world and people didn't want to meet each other. You know, like you're, you're there to focus and you're there to compete and the dining room tables were set up so differently. So like you couldn't really talk to people across from you or to the side of you. And you would most likely only dine with your teammates because you wanted to limit your interaction with other athletes because nobody knew like what was going on with their protocols and they really encouraged us not interacting. So it was very different from that way. So I didn't get to meet. I saw some friends from other countries through who I knew through the professional world of track and field, but you know, I didn't get to meet or watch any athletes from other sports. So that was kind of um, a sad aspect of the game. And then within 48 hours, you had to leave the village once you were done competing. So people would compete the first day and then they were gone, you know? So there is still like two weeks left of the Olympics, but they're, they're gone. And so it was just very different. The village was almost empty like the last night, other than the people who were attending the closing ceremonies and the people who competed the last few days it was, it felt like quiet and empty and the Olympic village, you know, in Rio was just like full of energy and life and tons of people. And uh, it's just a different, but I'm so grateful that they were able to still have the games. The volunteers were amazing, but just two completely different Olympic experiences for sure. Yeah. That has to feel weird. Like uh, being, if you're competing on like the last day, it's like, where, where's everybody at? <laughs> I was yeah. Here before, <laughs> for sure. Yes. Yeah. It's very different. Yeah. And um, so obviously in 400 meter hurdles, the, this was, I would say the year of the 400 meter hurdles for the men and for the women, it was, you saw mm -hmm. both the world records going down. And, and so you as a, an athlete, you know, seeing like, oh, this is a, very, very competitive on, on both sides of things. It's, you know, what's it like for, for you seeing like, there's a lot of really great, talented young ladies that are putting up some great times. How does that fuel you as a competitor seeing that there, there's so many people fighting for those top spots? I think it's amazing. Um, the 400 hurdles has become one of the most anticipated events on the track. And I feel so honored to be, you know, an individual in that event because the field of women and men competing in it is just phenomenal and it elevates us all. I think when you see your competitors, you know, running faster, like you want to run faster, you want to do better. And I'm really excited to see, you know, where the 400 hurdles like continues to go because right now it's at such an amazing time in history for the women's 400 hurdles and the men's 400 hurdles. So I'm just excited to be a part of it. It makes me want to run faster. It makes me want to elevate um, you know, my training, my performances. Yeah. 
And so which, which do you like better, I guess you could say? I don't know if better is the right word, but did you like, do you enjoy the, doing the four by four uh, or, being, uh, or being on the, the individual four, uh, 400 meter hurdles? Um, I, I, they're so different. I mean, the, the women's four by four, you're part of a team. And so I don't see myself as an individual running. I see us like as a team there on the track and I'm just there to do my part. Um, versus when I'm doing the 400 hurdles, like it's all me, it's all on me in my lane, what I'm about to do. So I would say, uh, the pressure is a little bit more intense for an individual event versus a team event, because you're no longer seeing it as yourself being the one out there on the track. You're saying, Hey, like, this is a group We're all, we all got each other's backs. We're all going to run hard for each other. You know, I know I'm going to run my fastest. I know you're going to run your fastest. So it's kind of a cool thing to walk out with a team. It's definitely, a little bit more exciting for something like at the Olympic games, because you're representing your country, like the four of you are representing your country um, versus you as an individual. So um, I, I mean, they're so, di they're very different things. I love, I love them both. Um, obviously the 400 hurdles, I get to show like how hard I've worked and what I've been able to do, but the women's four by four um, is definitely really exciting just to be there as a team representing Canada. Yeah. I, that's, similar thing for me. It's like, I enjoyed my, my individual events to be able to, you know, compete individually and, and show like, this is what I can do. But it was also fun to be like, a you know, it's fun to be a part of a team and be able to mm -hmm. you know, win, you know, with, with your team or, or whatever it might be. So yeah, like them for different reasons, but still very, still very fun for sure. Exactly. And so this, these next few years, we have a lot of major championships coming, coming about mainly from the shutting mm -hmm. down of the 2020 season just made it so Geez, it seems like every other week almost is a major championship. <laughs> so, yes, for sure. <laughs> so for you as an athlete, what is that like knowing that, you know, you're an athlete just about, you know, right in your prime, where is it going to be with you know, all of these major competitions, you know, coming up within the next few years? I think it's really exciting because I honestly, I had never experienced the down year, as they said, in 2018 was like the down year, even though we had Commonwealth Games um, as Canadians. But I think it's super exciting to know that there's so many opportunities ahead and so many chances to make more teams. Um, I just see it as, you know, a great way to possibly do all these big championships and then end my career. So I think that it's exciting for me. It's exciting um, for a lot of athletes who are looking to make the next games to have these next two world championships before that, because that just gives you extra time to prepare for the Olympic games and it gives you more competitions to prepare. And um, I'm excited for it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. It seems like it should be super exciting. These next few, uh, next few years of, of everything that that's going on. Um, and so before we close up shop, I had, had a few other questions for you. And so we had mentioned before, uh, TikTok star, you got hundreds of thousands <laughs> of followers or views, all of that. Um, how did you get in, interested in, uh, into TikTok and how could you just, just talk about your growing stardom, I guess you could say with, uh, I, yeah, I wouldn't call myself a TikTok star, but, uh, <laughs> it was funny because my brother back, uh, in 2019, he was like Sage you have to get on TikTok my brother's 11 years younger than me so he's still in high school so he is very much in to TikTok and all those things going on and he was like Sage you have to get on TikTok it's awesome and I was like ah, I don't know like that's that's for like high school kids like I'm a adult here like I can't be on TikTok he's like no you should do it and so I downloaded it I started watching I was like oh this is kind of like a fun 
interactive, cool app. Like I really enjoy watching these little skits, whether it's like people, you know, doing informational videos, you're learning something or you're just watching a funny video, you know, whatever it is, it's they're quick little fun videos. And so I decided to give it a shot. And obviously nobody, I don't think anybody like does really good. their like first few videos, but I had fun making them. Like I honestly was just doing it for fun. And my brother and I had made a few videos like over COVID together and we had a blast doing it. And so um, then eventually people like got really interested into following, you know, my Olympic journey on TikTok. And so that's when it kind of got, I guess I dedicated a little bit more time. It wasn't just for fun anymore. It was like another Instagram um, platform to, you know, share athletics, share the sport, share what I'm doing. So I've had a lot of fun on it. It's, um, it's a, it's a, it's a cool app. It can definitely take up a lot of your time if you're not careful, just scrolling through TikToks. But um, I think it's a, it's a great place, um, you know, to, to post about the sport and to show people more about track and field and what it is that we do as pro track and field athletes. I'm right there with you. I can, I can just start scrolling for hours and like, Oh, yes, I gotta, I gotta get away from my phone. I've just, it is, it's so dangerous because the algorithm is, I think what makes TikTok so great is the algorithm like gets you down to a pin. It like starts showing you everything. You're like, Hey, how did I know I wanted to see this? Or like, it just knows that I, I wanted to like laugh all night, or it just knows that I wanted to learn all these. I mean, I've learned so many little life hacks from TikTok. It's been crazy. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. It's just, it knows what's going on. And it's like, it knows me better than I know me, which is crazy. <laughs> uh, and then yeah. last question for you. So I was, when I was scrolling through, I was looking through, um, you know, whenever I you know, type in your name, Sage, with all the time that you have, or all of the races that you have, it seems like you're always wearing the, the same color of red lipstick. Uh, mm-hmm. And so me, my favorite color is red. So I was like, I'm all for it. Uh, but was nice. there any, any reasoning or, or story behind, you know, why you have the, the same shade of red lipstick on for most of your, your competitions there? Yeah, the red lipstick actually started um, kind of, you know, back when I was competing in college, I had wanted something I guess you can say like as a confidence booster. And I know that sounds silly. Like what made you feel as a confidence booster? Well, I feel like when, you know, you get dressed up to go somewhere or you get ready for like for business school, I'd get ready for important presentations or important things. And I would put on my makeup and I'd put on red lipstick and I'd, I'd feel good. And so I had this saying like, if you feel good or you look good, you feel good. Like you're going to perform like Great. And so I started wearing a red lipstick just for myself as a confidence booster. I had a few teammates kind of make fun of me for it. It wasn't taken. They're like, why would you wear makeup while you run? And it is kind of silly to wear makeup while you run. You're sweating. Like it's, it's not a time to be wearing makeup, but I liked it. I liked the bold red lips and I wore it, um, to make for NCAAs. Um, my, and then I wore it to the Olympic trials and then I wore it to the Olympics in 2016. And in 2016, um, when I wore it to the Olympic games, you know, it also kind of became part of my team Canada red uniform, you know, to support, you know, the red maple leaf and, um, people loved it. Like it, it like actually like kind of went like viral, like people just love the red lipstick. I got thousands of messages, like from people who just, love the red lipstick, you know, wanted to know more about it. And so it be, kind of became part of my uniform at that point. I wanted to continue 
wearing the red lipstick and um, showing that, you know, what it stands behind is, you know, having confidence, believing in yourself and doing what makes you feel good. I think we all have our little things we like to do, say, watch, wear that makes us feel a little bit more confident or that makes us feel a little bit more, you know, ready to step out there in front of the world. And for me, that's my red lipstick. Awesome. Love it. Yeah. I'm, I was like big fan of the color red. So whenever, whenever I saw (laughs) it, I was like, love it, keep it going, keep it going. But Sage, thank you so much for taking the time to, uh, to speak with us today. Uh, where could people go if they wanted to learn more about you on social media or anything like that? Yeah, I think, thank you so much for having me. I really liked your questions. Um, that was fun. But if you want to follow me, um, I'm on Instagram, um, Sage Watson. And then I'm also on TikTok, Sage Watson 7. Um, I am on Twitter, as you said before, you saw some of my old tweets. Um, <laughs> I'm on there. I'm not as active on Twitter, but yeah, definitely Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. Awesome. Well, yeah, thank you so much, Sage. Really appreciate it. And thank you to everyone for listening. This has been another episode of Track World News. If you want more content, go and follow us on Instagram at Track World News. You post different clips, highlights, news, things like that up there. Uh, And also make sure that you leave a like or subscribe to the show uh, wherever you're listening. I really do appreciate it. Um, That's going to be it for us here. Have a good one and peace.